Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode six on BPP's Diversity and Inclusion podcast. So today's episode will focus on disability awareness and the importance of maintaining good mental health, both as university students as well as beyond our time at university. Our discussion is centering on themes surrounding seeking help and support from universities, disclosing a disability, reasonable adjustments in the recruitment process, and valuable resources. So my name is Irini Evstathiou. I'm a diversity and inclusion ambassador at BPP and a current LPC student. Today we're joined by a friend and fellow law student, Julia Peluso, who is currently studying her LLB in English and European Law at Queen Mary University of London. Apart from being a full-time law student, Julia is also the campus ambassador for aspiring solicitors, accessibility officer at Queen Mary's Law Society, and the welfare officer at the European Law Students Association at Queen Mary. Julia, if you can briefly introduce yourself. Hi, this is Julia, and I can't really say much else about me, except maybe that I'm 100% Italian. (laughs) Perfect. We are first going to discuss a bit about aspiring solicitors. So as I've mentioned, you are the campus ambassador uh, at Queen Mary's Law Society. Briefly set out what aspiring solicitors is. I'll try to be quick by just explaining what it is, what they do and who they do it for, I guess. They are an organization, an outstanding one, in my opinion, and they aim is to increase diversity within the legal profession and within commercial law specifically. And they do so through providing free access, free opportunity and free assistance to students from all underrepresented categories. And it doesn't matter at what stage of your career you're at. So you could be an undergraduate student, a postgraduate student or a graduate or actually even a career changer. And by underrepresented group, Um, One could mean someone who's BAMI, so Black, Asian or minority ethnic. You could be someone who's LGBTQ+, uh, someone with a disability or from someone who has a a long-term health condition, uh, someone who's a primary carer for someone with a disability. someone with a low income family, someone who's been uh, state school educated. So it's, it's very inclusive in that sense. Um, and it's not at all uh, exhaustive as a list. It's also educative as a platform. So they're also trying to educate and informing the next generation of solicitors about the importance of um, diversity in the legal profession and similarly they're trying to promote the, the meaning and importance of diversity within the profession nowadays. The way to become a member is also quite frankly said pretty easy. You just have to log in the in their website and and log in. In my opinion it's very in, it's very good that they're trying to uh, to offer you what, what you need in terms of starting your career in um, trying to understand what it is that you're you're trying to trying to do do you want to do commercial law yes okay what is it that that you're trying to embark do you need to be a confident lawyer do you need to be uh, able to to be proud of who you are so it doesn't matter where you're coming from 
you you can make it basically can you talk us through your journey with aspiring solicitors and perhaps conclude by reflecting on the three biggest takeaways from it yeah sure i joined aspiring solicitors when i was in my second year of my four year course and i joined by participating in aspiring solicitors first which is their coaching program for those in either their their first year of law or second year of a four-year program and um, that was that was great for me because that gave me the the ability to then step out of my comfort zone and go go on and network with people which was kind of new to me um, and I then had the the courage to to participate to those events that were relevant to me. In particular, I applied to AS Ability 2019 at the time. So I think that was particularly important because that's when I met for the first time other students like me who have a disability. And equally, I met professionals who have a disability who were from trainees to partners. And that's where my mind kind of blew. Um, and that's because I thought that it was impossible for someone like me to be reaching that level of responsibility, to be reaching such a recognition, let's put it that way. Um, and that's where I made a lot of friends as well, actually. Um, and that's where I got so many questions answered. And I also um, continued with IS First with conversations with a mentor on the phone about the sorts of things that I could be doing that summer specifically uh, to improve some some gaps that I had, not in terms of experience, but in terms of skills. And I remember that I liked I lacked the confidence to talk about my my disability at the time. So I I worked on that a lot and I think um, aspiring solicitors helped me a lot with that um, and then just uh, quickly through that that, that year um, it helped me also more practically with open days um, and just to give you a quick example I went to two completely different open days one at a big American firm and one at a big uh, firm um, that quickly merged actually and one was full service what one was more private equity focused. And that's when I firstly um, understood how you could differentiate the firms and just have a really a first-hand understanding of what it meant to be able to fully understand what they did, um, the culture of the firms, the people uh, and all of that. So you really can't understand a firm by just looking at what they do on, on their website. And then I went on my year abroad, so I couldn't really do much, but I participated on their commercial awareness competition and I did very badly, very, very badly. I think I just made it through the second stage or something. But then I, I went on my final year um, and I made it through the semifinals this year. So I guess I made quite an improvement. And then this year I did quite a lot actually with them. I loved it because I, I got into the IS Aspire, which is the... The, the sort of final coaching program. Um, and that was fantastic because they give you a lot of, a lot of coaching, a lot of 
um, specific advice, a lot of mentoring sessions, and they also give you the opportunity to apply to further schemes. And that's where I also applied for the Spine Solicitors and HSF, Herbert Smith Freehills Disability Mentoring Scheme. Uh, so I spent um, about two months at the firm, I mean, virtually, but with the firm. That was so good. I made friends. We were just uh, about 10 of us. So it's quite a small group, but so tight. And I met a lot of professionals. I mean, you had to be quite proactive, but I met a lot of professionals. So that was also good in terms of practice. And um, it, it was all focused about disability. So that also made a lot of difference to me because I was able to learn about the, the importance of that specifically within the legal profession. Through Aspire, I was also able to apply to be their campus ambassador. So, so that also gave me another perspective. Um, and again, this year I applied to go to the ability event. So I, I was able to go to, to the 2021 event and I saw the progress from 2019 to 2021. I met other people, other professionals, but similarly, I met, I met the same people who I met two years ago. And uh, I, could, I was able to talk to them and keep that conversation going. And it was brilliant, right? So I, I guess my three reflections overall is that most importantly, now I can say that I'm proud to be who I am. And I'm, I guess I'm very much able to openly talk about my disability and I'm proud to talk about it and I'm inspired to be able to, to do that with others and hopefully others are inspired by me uh, but also I understood that it's a process so I've learned that I need to trust myself I need to trust the process the time will come that every every step of the way has a meaning and it's it's all meant to be like that I don't need to be in a rush for anything. Uh, and then I have enjoyed being a part of this, this whole family because it's not going anywhere. That's, that's what, what they're, they're telling me all the time. Even if I'm graduating now, I don't think they're going anywhere. I've really made good friends. So I'll, I think they're, they're here to stay. That's, that's amazing. Um, so there are other similar opportunities to the one with Herbert Smith free heels that you did, and you can access those through aspiring solicitors. Is it just with HSF only, or is it with other firms as well? Absolutely not. There's plenty of opportunities. The one that I applied for, let me just be clear, is was uh, limited to those who made it to the Aspire coaching, but there are opportunities for every member, depending on the stage they're at. For example, there are, um, there are opportunities that are limited to first year students, which are a lot basically, because they are very much counting on those first years to build on their career. Um, there are um, mentoring schemes only, there are work experiences for the summer. There are um, experiences that I have just launched um, that are available for the autumn as well. I've recently seen also one with uh, Channel 4, which is very interesting to me because it's, it's, um, uh, it's more towards the media side of things, uh, which is kind of new res respective to the financial sector that, uh, that they've 
they've been known for when they've been working in-house. Um, and then there's the one they've done uh, for um, for more years is uh, during the summers with the uh, with the government legal profession, which is also nice because it's uh, it, it's a different thing. There's also different sorts of opportunities, such as uh, mock interviews in case you do have an, an interview coming up and you are a member of aspiring solicitors. You don't have to be a campus ambassador by any any chance. Um, in case you have it, um, and of course the the interviewer is an affiliate member of aspiring solicitors, then you can book a mock interview with them. And let me tell you, they are absolutely amazing. The team at aspiring solicitors is great. All the the coach the coaches have, are trained, are um, experienced. Most of them, if not all of them, are past lawyers and they are all amazing people amazing people and that's you can access all of that through their website basically yeah but another amazing thing is the platform uh, ambassador platform which is basically uh, the easiest way that you have to connect with professionals who are willing to answer all your questions um, they are professionals from any affiliate firm um, and you just go there, they're divided by either firm or underrepresented group. And you can just go ahead and contact them with whatever query you have. So now moving on to the second theme, which is going to be more centered around mental health, how you can kind of deal with bad mental health. I think everyone probably goes through a bit of a bad mental health stage in their life. The hardest part of that is to take the first step uh, and admit to yourself that you're struggling with your mental health and reaching out for help. So I wanted to ask you, what would you say to someone who's struggling to take that first step and reach out to university for help? Okay, this is a tough question because there's more than just one thing to break down. Um, what I always say is that you, you need to be comfortable with your own self first to then be able to speak to somebody else. It doesn't matter whether you're about to speak to a friend, to a family member, to counseling. This time you're ashamed talking to. Then I would suggest going to counseling because I personally find uh, counseling very, very nice, very relaxing, very safe in that sense. Um, and I'm not ashamed at it, of it at all. I actually find it very courageous and try to be comfortable in your own skin to figure it out. Uh, counseling to me, it's a good, it's a good option because it gives you the, the option to, to let it go. Yeah. And I think also it's at this stage, it's very important to kind of recognize that you're being affected, that you're not feeling like yourself basically. And uh, I think that's the hardest part. So recognizing that you're not feeling well, that you need help. And that help could be either support from any services available or even just reaching out to family or friends. And I guess the good thing about services is that it's a bit more anonymous. So they don't need to know who you are, your background. They don't care. What they care about is actually giving you that service and helping you out. So I think we should definitely discuss now 
support from services, such as I know that there's advice and counseling at Queen Mary, and I'll also mention the help at BPP. And uh, if you could also speak about the NHS and what's available through them as well. I can tell you more about the advice and counselling that I can tell you about the NHS. That's what I've been using the most. Uh, advice and counselling at Queen Mary, I think it's pretty effective. I found that it's always been advertised a lot when I moved to London and I was in my, my second year and I, I suffered, suffered a family loss and I needed to talk to someone about it. And I, and I saw this uh, this advertised on QM Plus. So I, I went there in my second year and that, that made me feel better. Generally speaking, the experience was, was pretty good. And I, I went there every two to three weeks for um, about five months. Um, and then I, I went back to the advice and counseling this year for another family loss, unfortunately. But this time I was more mature in a sense. So it was, was good because even though I went to the counseling sessions with a different uh, psychologist, I still felt the same sort of welcoming support. And I, I think that that's what you need from the university because you need to, to know that you're not a, just another student. You know, you're, you're still um, welcomed and followed um, with the same love and the same care in a way. Um, I'm kind of worried that once I, uh, once I leave, I won't be able to get that anywhere else. But actually, I, I just found out that QM gives support to graduates as well. So that also made me think that this really, really is quite something. And they are investing a lot on our well-being. There's so much need for us to be talking about it. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's a lot going on at the moment. In terms of NHS, I know that they offer appointments also on the phone. And I think that's, that's something that is quite effective because you can have it pretty much anytime. Whereas with advice and counselling, it's still an, a sort of appointment that you have to do with your video on because it's it's as realistic as possible, which I like a lot. But I know that for other things which can be sort of sorted out differently, the NHS NHS one can be can can be just equally as effective. What do you think? I know about the BPP learning support team. I'm going to link their email in the description to this episode, but you basically uh, send them an email and tell them you need support and they get back to you and you're assigned with a learning support advisor and they're very, they're actually very helpful. They even, if you, whatever help you may need, they're, they're always there and they're going to try to accommodate that. Um, and there's also, they might kind of refer you to this, uh, mental health support and stress support that BPP has outside of the school itself. So it's kind of external. I think you can have 12 appointments and each appointment is 50 minutes each. So um, that's a lot of time to talk about stuff that stress you out and they can give you advice or even just talking about something that stresses you out allows you to kind of break it down and understand what you need to fix going outside of that call 
you actually kind of think about some things and understand how you can get back into in control of the situation. So that's what I know about BPP. In terms of reaching out to friends and receiving support from friends, or um, if you feel close to your family, reaching out to your family, what do you have, uh, what you, could you mention about that? It's complicated to be explaining sometimes to your closest ones what's going on because I feel at least that you don't just don't know where to start at least that's what I felt at some point especially with my family um, and especially because I live in London when all of them are back in Italy so when I go back I I just feel like it's best to make it seem like like it's not okay but other than that I think Actually, I've created my own network here since I moved to London. So the sorts of school friends, let's call it that way, my uni friends. It's nice to be talking to, to them because at least with them, I can, I can be open about many things. And uh, I'm just meaning it in the best possible way. And uh, I actually find it liberating to be talking, to be able to talk to some friends. Friends are a really big part of my life and you should keep that social bubble. Yeah, it can also help so much when you're actually open with your friends and also something else which is really important here is choosing who your friends are and choosing that bubble because at the end of the day, people who care about you, if they know that you're not feeling well or if they know that you're going through a bit of a hard time, They're going to be there for you if they care. That's why it's so important to have really strong friendships. And I think building a strong friendship is actually being open and honest with someone and connecting in a sense. Oh, yes. um, and I guess for my side, something which I really appreciated from uh, one of my best friends. So I was having a lot of assignment, a lot of exams during February and March, because that's the time that you do your skills at exams uh, at BPP. And I was having back-to-back -back assessments all the time. And uh, I was a bit stressed out because there were so, so many different things that I had to keep uh, track of. And one of my friends, she just sent me flowers on her own initiative. Uh, I didn't even have to tell her anything. She just knew that I was stressing out about exams and she just sent me flowers and didn't tell me anything. That was such a nice move because it's those moments when you need that push and you're gonna have that friend who's gonna, who cares about you and they're gonna do something to make your day or make your week or even your month. I think that's when you feel very appreciated and you get that push to move forward because that's what you need. I must have feel great. Yeah, I did. Um, so kind of moving to the third theme, which is going to focus on accessibility. Um, I know that throughout, throughout your time at Queen Mary uh, and getting involved in extracurricular roles, what did you feel was missing when you were preparing to go back for your final year uh, within the student societies? In short, what I think what's missing was just more attention toward accessibility within our student life. And by student life, I mean organization of 
events, competitions, educational content, especially in, in a period of pandemic, I noticed because everything was virtual. I don't think I've mentioned yet, but I have a visual impairment. So I was going through a big moment of screen fatigue at the time. And I was in my year abroad. So I was in Italy and the accessibility in Italy was particularly bad at the time. And after I, I took my last exam, a very long exam, which you guys do not want to do if you don't have an accessible version of the book. I, I thought, okay, I'm about to go back to London. I'm about to do my final year. I want to be able to fully enjoy my last year, okay? So let me see if the biggest societies will actually do something that I can contribute to. At least I can participate to some competition. Let's see what's going on, okay? And... Um, Likely, most of the societies anticipate the committees, anticipate the sort of events that they organize and all of that. So I already knew who was going to be on a committee and I could already see who was going to be the president, etc. So I was able to contact basically the, the future president and vice president you know, of the Law Society. And I told them that I really wanted someone to be the diversity and inclusion officer for the Law Society because I noticed that nobody was going to be on board as one. And I told them that I thought uh, whoever was going to be the officer, who by the way was not necessarily going to be me, but I just wanted someone to be there to take care of certain things. And I, I just volunteered to provide a document with certain a sort of manifesto, let's put it that way. Um, eventually they decided to give it to me but I I was very grateful for for that because I just really wanted to someone to take care of it and to do something about it and when they gave me the role I was very happy because I could kind of craft my own role within this role I was able to collaborate with many people within the society and do many different things and uh, as you may know I I did some events which I'm proud of, but mainly I created a sort of community within Cameo, and that's what I like the most, understanding of what disability awareness is, because it's, it's not just um, a taboo of what people say, it's more of, a, of an everyday thing to me. To me, it's just part of my life, and it's not a problem at all, and I actually like it, I enjoy it, I, I don't think it's an issue and um, it's cool. <laughs> I actually like it. Um, and I also talked to marketing because we, we always made sure that the things that we were posting were accessible enough for the people to be able to read it when we were um, doing any sort of competition and people had to sign up to things. We were making sure that there were the questions such as do you have a disability? Do you need any sort of adjustments that we can um, help you with? If there were any uh, events that we were doing and anyone needed any sort of adjustments, video, audio, we had to make sure that we needed to sort that out. I personally did a, and organized an event for those with disabilities 
which was open to students, so not only limited to QMUL students. So I needed to make sure that everything was in place, and I loved that event. Everyone was there for a reason, and I didn't care whether 200 people attended or whether five people attended, because I knew that those five people were able to take something away from it. Generally speaking, also the fact that all of us were so okay and so comfortable in in doing all of this and curious to learn from from me and generally speaking from the educative content that we were creating was what made it all worth it and we also won an award from it by the way so that's perfect so moving from the university landscape to the career landscape and having in mind that event that you did you mentioned that your experience with reasonable adjustments has been a learning process in itself. So could you tell us more about that and how it's been a learning process and the experience that you've taken out of it? Yes, that's something that I've mentioned in that particular event. I remember it clearly because I've had an issue with the, with the reasonable adjustments because because of my visual impairment, I've struggled to understand the best way for me to figure out how to best perform at each and every stage of the application process. It kind of depends what sort of adjustment work best works best for me. And also it depends how I wake up in the morning, let's put it that way. It, it's not that easy to prevent it. And it's not easy to confront the, the recruiter. It, 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 there's a lot of thinking that you need to do beforehand. It's a lot. And I always say that it's like doing another application process just for the reasonable adjustments. So to me, it's firstly figuring out that application process for the reasonable adjustments. And then you go ahead and you do the application process for the actual training contract. Now that I am doing this podcast with you i can say that i think I, i've got my reasonable adjustments application process sorted and i think i've passed it and that's because the reasonable adjustments process is quite tricky you need to do a full reflection on your own self you need to understand your own disability that's key not in the sense that you need to understand where it comes from genetically biologically Medically, no, I'm not talking about that. And by the way, recruiters do not need to know. You don't need to give them that much information. But you need to know the sorts of things that you need to perform at your best. That's what I need. That's what I mean when I say you need to know your disability. You need to know the extent to which your disability limits your performances. And once you know it, you need to know what it is that you need to ask. And you need to try it to know because if you don't try it you're never going to be able to practice it you're never going to be able to fully say it to a recruiter you're never going to be able to actually be satisfied with your performance and you're always going to be like yeah but maybe i should have asked for this Mm, you're always going to be giving the fault to something else you're always going to be regretful which is not something that you want. So my sort of journey with it is, has been, okay, I have a visual impairment. I can't be reading 40 pages of 
material that they give me for a case study in 20 minutes or maybe even less. I think 40 pages of reading, you probably need more than 20 minutes to read. <laughs> yeah, but this is pretty much what they what they give you, right? For a for a case study, at, at least that's, that's happened to me it, in, in general terms. So I said, okay, no way this is happening for me because of my visual impairment. What can I say? So I I went to the to the recruiter and I said, look, I need extra time to complete the task. But most importantly, I need to make sure that the that the papers are accessible in format, meaning that they are readable in spacing. Or alternatively, if it's easier for you, we can read it from a computer. So I would just try it out in different ways from beforehand. That means not going to the recruiter the day before and asking for these things. Otherwise, that recruiter can very well say to you, well, it's too late. You have to be proactive enough to look good and, and professional and all of that. So I'd say it a month in advance or as soon as I am invited to the IC. But even before reaching that stage of being invited to the IC, when I have to submit my application, if I'm not comfortable using the um, the, the online server, which is very often the case, what do I do? I ask, I email the, the recruiter at least a month in advance, and I ask for an accessible version of the application. Sometimes they don't even have that version, so they have to create it for me. But at least I've asked a month in advance so that they have, they have the time to do it for me. And what does it mean, an accessible version? It means maybe a Word document so that I can fill it out. And then I ask, so I give them the option to either send it out via email with the same file, or I tell them, do you want me to let it fill out by another person for me? But at least I complete it through the, the Word document. So, you know, I can, I can give them the option or alternatively what I've done in the past is call them so that they can fill it for me. And then the psychometric tests, which I hate, because they are the worst thing for someone with a visual impairment. And I've been rejected multiple times until I've decided, okay, I am gonna ask for, for adjustments. I've asked for extra time, but that's not the point. I've asked for the text to be a bit adjusted, but it cannot be adjusted because most of the times it, it, it's not under the control of the law firm and cannot be adjusted on time and all of that. So recently what I've done, which has worked, but you need to be prepared for this. So not everyone can do it is I've done it with the recruiter. So we've done it via Zoom by, and the recruiter was sharing her screen and she was reading it out for me. So I was basically doing, doing it by just listening. Of course, she couldn't say a word. She was, she was not responding to me at all, right? She was just fully reading it to me. Um, and I had to be trained. My, my brain was, had to be mentally trained for someone to be reading it for me. But you just have to be adaptable and flexible, mentally speaking, to be doing these things and eventually get to the AC and find your own uh, adjustments. But as I'm saying, it took me four years, four years to be figuring out the adjustments 
and they are still very flexible because it really depends on the kind of test. And I'm sure the next year, if I go through a different application stage, I will have to figure out a different adjustment. But you just need to be adaptable. And just for the sake of our listeners, so basically the application process for law firms usually involve a lot of stages. The first stage is sending out the application form. The second stage is psychometric tests and it's it's usually the Watson Glaser test which is done through an external uh, kind of examining page let's say. Um, then there might be a video interview or there's the AC which is the assessment center so it's a day full of different tasks to do and usually they involve they involve a case study where you're given a limited amount of time to read through a brief and then you go into either an interview or a group exercise and you basically discuss the case study and then there might be another final interview or you there might be an offer so obviously understand that having a disability on top of that and having to arrange for reasonable adjustments to level the playing field in the sense that you're not you don't have an um, an advantage over other people you're just leveling the playing field to perform at the same level as everyone else so that's essentially what julia meant if i said that uh, correctly julia if i didn't say it correctly please correct me no you did you, you did <laughs> say it correctly yeah, th- this is exactly what i meant and just let me say it very quickly that the reason why I think this is important to take care of your reasonable adjustments is because it's all worth it. Reasonable adjustments will show your full potential. This is what it's all about. Be aware of the fact that, of course, they need to be reasonable for a reason. And um, you cannot go ahead and ask for or double the time or anything like that. But the recruiters understand they're humans at the end of the day so all you need to do is to be proactive enough to be contacting them within a reasonable time and talk to them just go ahead and send that email and ask for for them to to have a call with you that's what i always do have a call with them and discuss things and they will be able to help you and this kind of leads very nicely to my last question which is basically, as you were just now speaking to listeners, um, who specifically may be afraid of sharing their disability with recruiters uh, for fear of how it may impact your candidate profile or seeing it as something detrimental. Why should someone request for those reasonable adjustments? Someone should request for reasonable adjustments because they deserve to be seen for who they are, first of all. Everyone has just so much inside, so much potential, that it's such a shame that this is not seen because of something that they have not decided to have. I was born with my disability. Do you see what I mean? I, I'm choosing to tell you that I have it so that I, that, so that I can have that extra time, so that I can show you what I have in my brain. I'm not doing anything bad in that sense. And if I can show you that I'm as intelligent as any other person, imagine 
what I can do because I've got so many skills as a consequence of my disability. You can use your disability as your strength, as skills from my disability. I can tell you that I am super adapt adaptable. I welcome situations in which I don't know what's gonna happen because I'm used to it. So I know that I will eventually find a way out. But I think generally speaking, what people ask me the most is the opposite question. It's not why, why should I say it? It's more, don't you think that this is detrimental? I've been in London for four years and I've seen the improvement from um, also from a recruitment perspective of people um, joining the, the legal profession I mean, in terms of early talent, and I've, I've seen people progressing with a lot of disability in terms of spectrum, mental, uh, in terms of learning disability, physical disability, long-term health condition. It's amazing. You have no idea. I've met so many people and it's so common. You have no idea how many people have a disability, but just don't say it of course because maybe they don't want to be open about it but it's more common than you think it's something that you should be proud to be to, to be so open about it to be so cool about it cool in the sense of being very very proud of it in the sense that you are aware of what it means of what, or what you can do with it or what, or what you have achieved with it it is at least something why do we have to look at the negative things if, if there's something positive out of it it's very important to capitalize on the fact that if you have a disability that makes you unique, I would say it's the way you see it. That's what defines you. It's how you see yourself. And because at the end of the day, this is who you are. This is who you're going to be. So embracing it and actually showing your strengths and how unique you are through that and how you can do something as good as anyone else. You could even do it better if you want to. I think any barriers you feel you have, they've only been placed by other people in front of you. There's no barrier whatsoever. You can do anything you want. Right? I, think that's, I think that's very well said and that made me remember of um, that really reminded me of what my mentors told me um, Fadea from Clifford Chance she's um, she's probably one of the most inspiring persons I've ever met and she's fully blind she was probably the first person I've met of at least such seniority within the legal profession um, and she's told me you are someone with a visual impairment right but you are not defined by your visual impairment you're not a visually impaired julia you're julia with a visual impairment you define your own self you're not defined by others and by your your the your visual impairment included so that's very important yeah and i'm not assuming that i understand or that I can appropriately place myself in your shoes. I know, at least I know how it should be. Nobody knows. I, 
That, that, that's another thing, actually. Thank you for mentioning it. This is key. This is very important. And I've learned it also throughout the years. I only know what it feels like to be in my own disability. And even if I have, for example, a visual impairment, I won't know and I won't ever be able to know what it feels like to be fully blind. Even if it's the closest, for example, it could be to my own visual impairment. It's so important because every disability is completely different from one another. And it's so important because everything is so different. It's so unique and it brings in turn many different skills and many different unique skills. And this is so good. I, I find it so, so nice. Makes it everything so worth it just makes people different from each other. Otherwise, if we were all the same, it would, life would be boring. <laughs> Very much, um, I agree. So before closing, I also wanted to mention any resources. So if you read any books, um, I, I personally know that there's a show on Netflix called Headspace, and I know that you've watched it before. Um, it helps a lot with mental health and uh, kind of addressing issues and how to come out of them. All of it is animated, which makes it very, it makes it a bit cute in a way. And I also wanted to mention an app called I Am. So you can find that on the app store and it basically, you set a setting uh, of uh, the app sending you notifications throughout the day. Um, and it sends you self-affirmations so it comes up on your phone as a notification and it's a self-affirmation so it kind of reminds you to have that positive outlook on life or kind of remind yourself of what you should uh, be appreciative of and what you should remember that is important in life in a sense but if you have any other resources to mention that would be great I actually love that one I didn't know about it uh, I, I will go ahead and upload it I loved it and I knew about the Headspace Netflix one, actually, because I do meditate on head, Headspace and I've watched the, the documentary on, on Netflix and it really helped me with the, with the sleep. And when it comes to my resources, I had a couple to mention as well. One was the Intelligent Change Diary or journal, if you want to call it that way, which is called Five Minutes Journal, which is so cute also and so nice and I I write on it every single morning when I wake up and every single day before every single night sorry before going to bed and I have to write on it things that um kind of that I kind of want to achieve when I wake up so this morning for example I I just saw that it wasn't a really sunny day right as usual in London so I just noted down that I wanted to be joyful despite the weather which is something really hard to do and I wanted to have a good time during the podcast and all of all of these things right and then before going to bed I will see whether these things have happened and, and so forth I've been doing this for a year now and it's good to see the progress and it, it's good to keep track also of your life like that it's nice and another thing, it's a book that I'm reading at the moment, which is this book will change your mind about mental health. It's good to mention it given that it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes. 
and I've just bumped into it on my way back to London um, when I was uh, at the airport. So mm. I think it's, I think it was the sign. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just got it and it's from Nathan Filer. It, it, it's very mind opening. Let's put it that way. I don't want to spoil it. So just go ahead and read it. Mm. That's perfect. Um, thank you for joining me today. I also want to say sorry for my voice being so groggy. I think I got a bit of a cold. Um, but it's been amazing speaking with you and having just a one-on-one -on -one conversation about mental health and disability awareness, especially because it's May and it's Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I'm also gonna mention that this is probably our last episode for this academic year with finals coming up is quite uh, tricky to um, maintain a lot of things at the same time other than our sanity. Um, so <laughs> quite sadly, it's probably the last episode, but I hope someone else will pick it up uh, from here in the next academic year in September <laughs> if you if you join BPP, Julia, you should take over. But yeah, it's been amazing. And thank you for joining us and listening in. Thank you very Great. much for 